Um, this week, I don't, do you ever do this? You're, like you, um, you, you know, flip something on on the television, or you, you know, start reading something, or you know, pull something up, a story on the internet, or something that that piques your interest, and then you like get into it, you know, and you start reading more, and you just get sucked into it. Um, this week, I, I had that. I, w- I heard something on the radio recently, and it just sort of sparked my interest, and so I started um, just kind of searching online. It's a strange topic. To be honest with you, I haven't spent um, a whole lot of time thinking about it in years, but um, I, I, I was thinking about slavery in our, in our country. I heard somebody talking about it, and I thought, you know, I, I, it just, it's been a long time since I learned that. When you're in school and you learn about stuff, you know, sometimes you're not uh, as into it. You're forced to learn, and sometimes you're not, you know, paying attention as deeply as you should be. Um, not any of you kids here today, but um, for me at least. And so it, I, I remember, like, some of these things that I was reading this past week, and it's just been a long time, so some of the names are familiar and stuff, but for whatever reason, it just struck me this week, you know, like, um, it would, just the, the stories of people, and, and you see pictures, you see their, their faces, you know, and you think about, maybe because we just finished a series on Daniel too, you know, and Daniel was a guy who was captured, who was taken from his country, everything he knows, and he's taken captive to this foreign land, and so I'm reading about, you know, these, these slave ships that, you know, sail into Africa and steal people, innocent people, you know, steal them and load them up onto a ship and sail halfway across the world to sell them to be slaves, you know? And it just, you know, just, it's great. And then you read about these uprisings that would happen every so often and the loss of life you know that that comes when when people who are un absolutely unjustly persecuted are like i don't want this anymore and then they're killed for that you know and so i'm reading about all this stuff and it's just like is hitting my heart in a different way you know i'm i'm reading about guys like frederick Douglass, you know who whose autobiography becomes one of the most significant books of the 19th century you know, I'm reading about the Underground Railroad. You know, it's part of the Underground Railroad ran through our area. And reading about the Underground Railroad, and you read about some of these names, again, that I, I vaguely remember from school, you know, like Harriet Tubman, who was a former slave. She was a slave in Maryland, and she, gets, she escapes slavery. And then, like, imagine the courage of this. She goes back almost immediately to help other slaves get free, like risking everything, right, her freedom, to help other slaves get free. And, you know, William Still, he's called the father of the Underground Railroad. This guy helped 800 different slaves become free, find their freedom. You know, I'm reading about Sojourner Truth. And I, I, I like, vaguely remember this. She gave a speech at the Women's Rights Convention. Uh, it became one of the most uh, significant, famous speeches in American history. You know where that was? Akron, Ohio. And she gave a speech, it's entitled, Ain't I a Woman? Ain't I a Woman? And, uh, you know, so I'm reading all these, all these people, the Dred Scott decision, one of the, the historians and judicial scholars call it, look at it now, they go, it is the worst Supreme Court decision ever, the worst decision ever. They made the decision to uh, deny citizenship to every slave, ex-slave, and descendant of slave. And they, and they said, Congress can't change that, Right? And so I'm reading about all this stuff, John Brown and what he did at Harper's Ferry, you know, and it's just, it's striking me. And then uh, Lincoln becomes president, right? And so after, when Lincoln's elected, 
uh, seven states, so the South hated it, seven states seceded from the Union when he's elected president, right? And then shortly after that, we have this civil war. And the civil war, the primary driver of the civil war is this issue of slavery, right? And so eventually, by 1863, Lincoln and others are able to pass this Emancipation Proclamation that abolishes slavery in the Confederate states. And then finally, a couple years later, uh, in 1865, we have the 13th Amendment. The 13th Amendment is the one that abolished slavery officially in our country, and, they, and then gave Congress the ability to uphold that, right, to enforce that. And so I was, I was you know, reading all this stuff, and I was, um, I was listening to this guy talk about it. He said it, was, it, was, it just struck me. He said, you know, after the Emancipation Proclamation of the 13th Amendment, for years after that, there were still many Americans that were slaves, that had formerly been slaves, that continued to be slaves by, by their own choice. They, they were now free, you know, they were now like free citizens. They had citizenship now, and yet they, were, they still chose to stay as, you know, in, in, in voluntary servitude. And I think about that, and, and I... You know, there's, there's a big part of me that's like, I don't understand that, you know? Because it, it would have been miserable. For most slaves, it would have been miserable, right? You know, like, what, what's the mindset there? And I, and I get it. Like, I know just because now you're declared free, it's like, well, what do, you, what do you do? You don't own property. You don't have a job. You know, like, that's a scary, that's a scary thing to, to, like, think through. Like, what do I do now? And so, so many of them stayed, and I think, but you're but you're free, you know? Like, why would you stay in the misery of everything that you hate when you know that there's hope on the other side? If you step out of that, there's hope, there's like potential, there's promise on the other side. And it, and it, just, it just struck me. So, so we're in this series that we started last week called Deception. The Father Lies, and we're looking at, so all this stuff swirling around in my head, we're looking at um, the, our enemy, our common enemy, as the Bible calls him. And so the, the, the terminology, the different titles, I guess, uh, that the Bible calls this enemy is the, he's the ruler of this world, or the prince of this world, the God, lowercase g, of this world. He's the accuser, he comes to accuse us. He comes to steal and kill and destroy it says he's like a roaring lion looking to devour you and me. It says he's Satan. He's the father of lies, right? And one of the ways that he works as the father of lies in the lives of Christians is by causing confusion over our identity. And so I, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about these slaves, and I'm like, these are former slaves who now have a new identity. They're free, Right? And yet they're still choosing for whatever reason. Maybe it's familiar. Maybe even though it's miserable, it's comfortable. They're choosing to live their old life even though they're new, right? And I look at this and I go, you know what? That's exactly what many Christians are doing as well. You know, we've been, we're free. We have this new identity. We have this new father. We're now his child. We're a new creation and yet many of us are still living in our old identity, you know? Many of us are still believing the things that just aren't true about us any longer, and then that affects the way that we live, right? 
Last week, we uh, opened up this series, and we just, I, I felt like we needed to have kind of a clarifying discussion, because there's so many things that we believe about Satan and demons and evil and all of that stuff that's just not true. Like, it's just, it's just inaccurate. It's a misunderstanding. And so last week, we said, well, what if we start off talking about evil, and we look at what the Bible says, like we may have been taught something by someone with good intentions, or maybe we, you know, see something on a movie and we assume that that's like the power of evil. We're like, why don't we just look at what the Bible says about evil and the power of evil in our world? And so we did that. We looked at kind of a bunch of different things about truths about uh, Satan and demonic things and evil. And then we ended our time looking at like, what does it look like for us if we have an enemy who hates us? who's at war with us, what does it look like to defend ourselves? What does it look like to have spiritual warfare? A lot of times we use that terminology. And the way that we did it is we looked at one particular passage last week. We looked at this passage from 1 Peter. This is 1 Peter chapter 5. Go to that next slide there. 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, and this is what it says. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. And last week, we kind of just dug into that. And we said, we said, actually, in the original language, these are flip-flopped. So it actually says, be sober-minded first, and then it says, be alert. And we talked about what that means. And we said, what it really means is relax, right? Relax, be calm, be collected, be clear-minded, be thoughtful, but be on alert too, right? Be on your guard, keep watch. Why? Because there's an enemy. He's like a lion, looking to devour you, but you can resist him. Even though he's a lion, you can resist him, right? And so you can be separate from him. And we said, and, and then like this last part, standing firm in the faith, we said it's actually, what that means is we lean into Jesus, right? Like we lean into that relationship with him. We talk to him, we listen to him, we read about him, we love the things that he loves, we love the people that he loves. And we said that strangely enough, like when we think of, I'm, there's an enemy who's looking to devour me, who's looking to crush me. How do I defend myself? Like, what do I do? This, this seems a little different. It seems passive, right? What do we do? Well, resist him and grab hold of Jesus, right? Resist him and hold firm in the faith. And when we do that, we're safe. We're secure, right? It's not, you know, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to expose evil and I'm going to, you know, rebuke the devil and rebuke demons and pray and, you know, at the hedge of protection around. Just relax. Resist the devil and cling to Jesus. Like, that's what spiritual warfare looks like for us. And so last week we kind of dug into that. And I wanted to take the time to say that again because this is, like, as we, as we go through each week of this series, this verse and the challenge for us in this verse is paramount for us to get. It's paramount for us to get. You know, we don't want to have like a weird, this is the first time we've done a series. So if you're visiting today, like this isn't a normal kind of series. We don't talk about the devil and evil and demons all the time. It's the first time we've done a series like this. But this stuff is real, right? And so our job, our responsibility is cling to Jesus. The one thing that you get from this series, I hope that's it. Resist the devil and cling to Jesus. So I'd encourage you, if you missed that, maybe you got some questions about any of that stuff, to check that out online. This week, I want to dig a little bit deeper into the ways in which Satan operates in our world and, and how it affects our identity. Because I think that's, 
That is a huge way that the lies of Satan look to pull us away from God and becoming what God desires that we become. And so I want to dig into that a little bit more this week and then how you and I can be safeguarded against him. Um, do you remember the game? You ever, you ever play the game um, Two Truths and a Lie? <laughs> you know this game? You know, yes, shake your heads. Yes, okay. So this game, this is a fun game. Um, you, so a lot of times you do it as like an icebreaker in a small group or something like that, you know, and you go around and each person has to say three things about themselves, two of which are true and the third one is a lie. And then everybody else has to like figure out which one's a lie, right? And so um, I thought maybe to get us moving a little bit this morning, not physically moving, but our brains moving, maybe we play this game. You want to play this game? Okay, well, let's do it. We'll just do a couple rounds, ready? So these, so these are about me only because... We don't have time for, you know, to go around the room with all of this. So um, your job, your responsibility is to figure out which one of these is the lie, okay? Here we go. Here's the first one. My second toe is longer than my first toe. <laughs> I'm not taking off my shoes right now. But I once had a mullet with blonde highlights. In high school, my friends and I once picked up roadkill and left it on a friend's porch just to mess with them. All these are equally ridiculous, right? Which, okay, so if you think it's A, raise your hand. That's a lie, okay, a few of you. If you think it's B, raise your hand, a few of you. If you think it's C, raise your hand. All right, well, the answer is B. I, I did have a mullet. I just didn't have blonde highlights in it. But I assure you, if I could grow a mullet today, I would have blonde highlights in it, I promise you. Don't ask me about these other two. I'm not going to sh- give you any more information. Here's the next one. I started shaving in seventh grade. It's pretty early, right? Uh, my first job was making ice cream at Strickland's in Ellet. You guys know Strickland's? Really good ice cream. It's actually frozen custard. Or C, my car broke down on the night of high school prom, which would be an embarrassing thing if it were true. <laughs> what do you think? Which one? Who thinks it's A? Some of you? Who thinks it's B? Some of you more? Who thinks it's C? The answer is A. Oh, I actually started shaving in sixth grade. I went through puberty when I was like nine years old. That's why I'm bald today, I think. Anyway, okay, here we go. Last one, one more. I once embedded a U-Haul in the corner of a building. Who would be dumb enough to do that? I once lived in a mobile home in a trailer park. Or... I knew since I was young that I wanted to be a pastor. Who thinks it's A? That's a lie. A couple of you. Who thinks it's B? A couple more of you. Who thinks it's C? You guys know me pretty well, right? Yes, it was C. I'll tell you the U-Haul story another time. So, um, fun game, right? Like, it's, sometimes it's hard to know. Like, all of those kind of look equally true or equally ridiculous, right? So sometimes it's hard to figure out which ones are true and which ones are the lie. Um, I show you that because not only is it a fun icebreaker game to play, but that's actually in many ways the way that Satan works. In many ways, it's the way that Satan operates in our culture. And I want to show you this. If you've got a Bible, grab it. Flip it open to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Uh, you could also use the Grace Church app as well. 
Uh, there's a little Bible part in there too. So John chapter 8, as you're flipping there, let me give you a little bit of context of what's happening here. We're jumping in in the middle of a passage, um, but it talks about our enemy, and so I, I think it's important for us to see. So in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to some Jews here. He's talking to some Jews that don't get it. And they're talking about um, their, their father, like who their father is. And so they're like, yeah, God's our father. And Jesus is like, listen, if God were your father, you would accept me because he's the one that sent me here, right? And so he's like, actually, God's not your father. And they're like, Jesus, you're crazy. And he's like, no, 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 your father is not God. Your father is the devil, and then he goes on and he describes the devil. He gives some qualities of the devil that I want to look at. So this is John chapter 8, verse 42. This is what it says. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. If God were your father, you would love me, for I've come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father. These are strong words, right? You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. And so imagine if you're talking to Jesus and he says that to you, right? Those are, those are really strong words. They're like, yeah, yeah, God's our father. And Jesus is like, no, he's not. If God were your father, you'd accept me. Your father is someone else. Your father is the devil, right? And then he goes on and he describes the devil. So there's a lot that we could dig into here. I actually want to just kind of focus on this last part. Go to that next slide. I want to focus on this last part because this last part describes our enemy. It describes the devil and who he is and what he's like. And, then, and I'm going to read it again. He says he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And when I read that, there's a couple things that, that jump out to me with this. The first thing is, and this is, by the way, a really good way when you're, when you're reading scripture to like understand what it's about, like to understand the, the main point and what the author is trying to get across. Like what is, what is, what is a theme in these few, uh, in this couple sentences here that, John writes about that's that Jesus says it's really big. One of the themes is he talks about truth and lie, right? He says there's not holding to the truth. That word's repeated again. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he is a liar. He's the father of lies. Those words are repeated five times just in that little bit, right? And so I read that and I'm like, listen, at least in God's perspective, there's such thing as truth, and there's such thing as lie, right? According to God, there is truth and there is lie. Now, our culture gets a little confused with that, right? Like, we don't generally accept that. We have things like alternative facts, and we want to take truth, and we want to relativize truth. We want to personalize truth. And so if you believe something different from me, I want to go, oh, that's okay. You know, that's fine. It's true for you. We personalize it. We relativize it. And you go, but it's not true for me. Even if what I believe is in absolute conflict, like they cannot, they're mutually exclusive, they cannot both be true. In, all, in our culture, we're like, well, we want to be tolerant. And so we'll just say, it's true for you, but it's not true for me, right? 
But you look at what God says, and it's like, well, according to God, in God's economy, in God's structure of things, there's such thing as truth, and there's such thing as untruth. There's such thing as lie. And so that's the first thing I notice when I, when I look at this. According to God, there is truth and there is lie. The second thing I notice is this. Satan is all about the lie, right? Satan is all about, according to God, Satan is all about lies and deception. That's who he is, right? It says that's his native language. Lying it is, is his native language. Probably for most of us in this room, English is our native language. For him, lying is his native language. Deception is his MO. He is the originator of the untruth. Like that's who he is. That's how he works. And that is incredibly important for us to get. That's what he, he lies, right? Let, let me get, let me, I want to read you something. And I want you to just, I want you to just take this in. So it's going to be really tiny. I'll read it all. You're, it, maybe if you're watching online, you'll be able to read it on the TV. Most of you, unless you're really close, won't be able to read it on the TV. So I'm just going to give you that caveat at the beginning here. So I'm going to read it, but I want you to hear There's seven things. There's seven points here, seven tenets here. And I want you to just, I think you'll agree with most of it, right? And, and, but I want you to chew on this. This is what it says. Go, go to that next slide there. Here's the first one. Strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. Strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. That's number one. Number two, the struggle for justice is, on, is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. The struggle for justice is ongoing. It's necessary. And it's bigger than laws. It's bigger than institutions. I have a third one. One's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. The body's unviolable right? Inviolable. Subject to my will. My body is subject to my will and my alone. Go to the next one. The freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forgo your own. Freedom is really, really important. It should be respected. How about the next one? Belief should conform to our best scientific understanding of the world. We should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit our beliefs. Okay. How about this one? People are fallible. If we make a mistake, we should do our best to rectify it and resolve any harm that may have been caused. We are fallible. I know I am in my own life, right? Last one. Every tenet is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. What do you think about those? Probably we read that and we're like, yeah, there's a lot that I agree with in there. Maybe there's a couple things that I, I, I need clarification on or I, I don't know that I agree with. You know what those are? The seven tenets of Satanism. It's the seven tenets of Satanism. Isn't that interesting? So we read that and we're like, I, I, I guess if I'm thinking of Satanism, I'm thinking about like worshiping Satan or worshiping demons, or like sacrificing cats, or something like that. Like, that's what I think of when I think of the beliefs, the tenets of Satanism, right? This, this seems really different. As I understand it, as I read this week, there's two like main branches of Satanism. One is the Satanic Temple, which these are the seven tenets of, kind of the seven core beliefs with. 
The other is called the Church of Satan. It has nine statements attached with them. They're a little bit more obviously at odds with Christianity, although you'd read those, and there's a lot of stuff that you'd agree with in there as well. And, and at first, if you just kind of glance over or gloss over it, you're like, eh, yeah, maybe it's kind of a, a little bit more liberal than I am, but yeah, I think I agree with a lot of what that says. But when you're looking for it and you read it closely, it becomes obvious how Satan works. How does he work? A little bit of truth, a little bit of lie. A little more truth, a little more lie. Right? Two truths and a lie. Kind of like two truths and a lie. And so you read it and you're like, yeah, we should strive to act with compassion and empathy to creatures. I agree with that. I think that's true. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Then you go on, you're like, but only in accordance with reason. Like, what does that mean? Whose reason are we talking about? My reason? Your reason? God's reason? Satan's reason? Okay? We go on and we're like, yeah, one's body is really important. It's inviolable. It is. Maybe it's even sacred, right? Like people, God made our bodies like they're really important to us. And then you go on and you're like, but I'm not sure that it should just be subject to my own will, right? Like, what about what God desires of my body? He's the one that made it, right? You go on, you're like, yeah, freedom should be respected. That, that is core to my value system. We should be free people. Freedom should be, should be respected. And you go on, you're like, but wait a minute. We, we should feel free to offend others? Like, what about striving to live at peace with other people? What about trying not to hurt or offend them because I love them and I want them to see Jesus in me, right? You see how Satan works. All of these, by the way, are very much about human, absolute human freedom and not falling under any sort of standard or instruction that God gives us. And so you see, a little bit of truth, and they won't question the lie right? A little more truth, and they won't question any other lies. It's how he works. And then little by little, there's this cumulative effect, right? Bit by bit over time, that, that sort of thing. Believe some truth, believe a little lie. Believe some more truth, believe a little more lie. Over time, that adds up, and you end up with a belief system that is very, very different than what this says, right? By the way, I should be clear with this. I said earlier that in the seven tenets of Satanism and in the nine statements of Satanism, uh, it, it uh, doesn't say anything about worshiping, neither of them say anything about worshiping Satan or demons um, themselves. Uh, it, it, I was having some conversations this week and it was interesting that many Satanists actually don't even believe in a literal Satan. Many of it, some do, but many of them don't even believe that Satan is like a literal being. Some do, and they worship him, and they, they have like this strange infatuation. But either way, either way, whether you are a Satanist who believes in Satan existing or you're not, either way, Satan wins, right? So he wins if, you know, people have this strange infatuation with him and demonic things and the occult, and you're like summoning them and speaking to them and worshiping them. But he also wins if people just simply follow his lies, Right? Because if we're following the lies of Satan, then we're not following the truths of God and Jesus Christ. 
I'm not sure if Satan cares if people believe in him, believe in his existence, as long as they're buying what he's selling, right? Which begs a question for us. So as we sit here, as we sit here today, it begs a question like, are we unknowingly listening to and following his lies? Are we unknowingly listening to and following the lies of the enemy? What do you think about that? I, I think about that question and immediately I think, yes, yes, we are. We all are, to some degree or another, at, at some points or another. We do, we fall for his tricks. He deceives us and it hurts us. And so many of the lies that we follow, the lies that we accept, have to do with our identity. Our identity, who we are, what makes me, me. Follow my logic here. If Satan is a liar and a deceiver, and he's called the ruler of this world, or the prince of this world, or the god of this world, and you and I live in this world that he has significant influence of, what are ways of this world or lies of this world in regards to our identity? Like, what are things the world says, this is really core, this is the most important part of who you are? What are some of the lies of this world? in regards to our identity. I think about that, and there's a bunch of things that just immediately jump out to me. What are lies of this world that say, this is what makes you valuable. This is what makes you, you. It's really important. First thing I think of is um, gender stuff and sexual identity stuff, right? Like that is so huge in our culture. Are you male, female, non-binary, right? Neither. Are you straight? Are you lesbian? Are you gay? Are you bisexual? Are you transgender? Are you questioning? Like, what are you? And so our culture looks at those and they're like, this is, for many people, this is the most important part of their identity. This is who, I am a gay man. I am a gay woman. I am a transgender. This is, the, I, this is who I am. I figured it out. And of course, in our culture, it's very fluid, right? Like all of those things can change. Your gender and your sexuality is changeable. How about this? Look at our culture. What does our culture say? This is, this is what makes you valuable. This is, this is like core to your identity. How about this? You have to be beautiful. You have to be beautiful. Beauty is so important in our culture. It's interesting. There's actually studies that are done that show that that. People that are beautiful, beautiful people get better jobs, better salaries, better seats on the airplane, right? Like it, when you're beautiful in our culture, you are something. You are really, really important. How about this? Fame, popularity, you're well-known. Like how many people pursue that? And they're like, if I could just be famous, if people would just know my name, it's not just important in middle school and high school, it's important all around, right? There's no such thing as bad press. How many Instagram followers do you have? Man, if people would just know who I am, then I'd be something. It's core to my, core to my identity. How about this one? Success. Man, if I could just be successful, then I'd be valuable, right? Like if, I, if people, it doesn't matter what I'm successful with, but if I could just be successful, I would have the respect of people, 
I would be catered to. Maybe going along with that, wealth. Man, if I could just, if I could, if I, I, if I could be known as a rich man. And it doesn't matter how I got my money, but I would finally then be honored. I would be respected. I, I, I think, in, in my opinion, a great case in point with this, as you look at somebody like Kylie Jenner, go to the next slide. You guys know who Kylie Jenner is? Some of you younger ones will. She is incredibly popular in our world today. So this is Bruce Jenner's daughter, right? One of his daughters. And connected with the Kardashians, you know, there's all kinds of shows that are all over the tabloids and stuff like that. And so Kylie Jenner, you look at her, and she's someone who's beautiful, right? She's someone who's famous. She's someone who's successful. She's someone who's wealthy, right? And so I don't know if you saw this in the news recently. She tweeted that uh, she doesn't use Snapchat anymore. She's, she's beyond Snapchat anymore. She doesn't use it. And so you have this gigantic company, Snapchat. It has this app. And as she sends out that tweet, the, the value in Snapchat, Snapchat's stock goes down by $1.3 billion because Kylie Jenner sent out a tweet. 1.3 billion, this has been all over the news, 1.3 billion dollars because she's beautiful and she's famous and she's successful and she's wealthy. I just saw, I just read on Friday that uh, Snapchat just laid off 120 engineers. Engineers with families, supporting their families, right? They just got laid off on Friday because Kylie Jenner sent out a tweet that she doesn't use Snapchat. That's what's valuable in our culture. That's what's esteemed in our culture. Let me, give you, let me give you a couple more, three more. How about this one? Highly talented. Highly talented people have respect and honor. Even if you are a despicable person and the rest of your life is in shambles, if you've got talent, you are something. You have a lot of value. How many people chase that as their identity? You, you read about different uh, musicians or professional sport, particularly sports athletes, that by the time they're 30 years old, they're done, right? And then they're like, I don't even know who I am. All I was was basketball. All I was was football. That's my identity. I was an athlete. That's my identity. How about this one? Education. Highly educated people are more important. If you have a DR dot before your name, you are a significant person. You're one of the smart ones. And if you can't excel in our structured educational system, well then, bless your heart, you're just not smart, right? That's what our culture says. Can I, can I give you one more? That may, maybe will make some of you uncomfortable, I don't know, or hit home. It does for me. How about this one? Um, my identity is all wrapped up in being the best dad possible. I'm going to be the best dad that I could possibly, that is the most important thing. My pre prevailing identity is to be a great dad. And the best way possible for me to be a great dad is to give my kids every possible experience that they could have in childhood. And so I spend all of my time carting my kids around to basketball practice, to band practice, to travel baseball, to piano lessons, to performance art lessons, to gymnastics, to choir, to in, in the summertime when the kids aren't in school and they have a little more time, I'm going to send them to seven different summer camps. Yeah! Like that's how I'm going to be the best parent possible. They're going to have stuff to do. They're going to be gone every night of the week. It's going to be amazing for them. Come on. 
Where does that come from? See, all of these are important parts of our identity, right? Like, I, I fall somewhere on the spectrum of each of those things, but they're not my main identity. They're not the main component of my identity. And if I get focused on any of those things or all of those things, very quickly I get lost and I get confused of what makes me valuable and what makes me me. And so you look at it and you're like, that's how Satan works. There's a lot of truth there. Because we go, well, the Bible talks about being a good parent, right? Like it talks about parenting. I should be a good parent. There's, there's truth there. Yes, I have sexuality. That's part of who I am. Yes, like there's such a thing as wealth and not wealth. I'm somewhere on that spectrum. Something. There's truth there, right? But ultimately, those aren't the things that primarily define my identity. And if I start believing that they do, then I'm believing a lie, right? I'm believing something that's not true. For the Christian, my value, my worth, my potential, my giftedness, my identity is all wrapped up. It's all wrapped up in one thing that strangely enough is fundamentally not about me. Isn't that interesting? We're talking about my identity. There's one thing primarily that my identity is all about. Everything about me is wrapped up in that's really not about me. What is it? I am a child of God. What's my core identity? What is the most important thing about me? I am a child of God. I am His, capital H, right? He's my daddy. When I chose to say yes to Jesus and I made God my father and God gave his Holy Spirit to make his home inside of my heart, everything changed. That becomes my identity, first and foremost, above everything else. Go to that next slide. In Galatians 3, it says, So in Christ Jesus, in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. When I trusted Jesus, I become a child of God. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself in Christ. Go to the next one, Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, who have the Spirit of God living inside of us, were children of God. And that Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. You know what Abba, Father means? We talked about this, I don't know, some months ago in one of our series. It's, it's this very intimate term. It's daddy. It's like daddy. So I have one Abba. Even though you may be a daddy, you're not my Abba. I have one Abba, right? Saying we're children of God. We have the spirit of sonship and daughtership that we call God Abba. That's the most important identifier. And he makes me, he then, like if I'm trying to understand who I am and who I want to be, he's the one that makes me special, right? And the more that I allow him into those dark, isolated areas of my heart, the more he changes me, the more access I give him, the more he takes every little thing that makes me me and he makes it better. He makes it better. And so no longer am I a slave to sin. When I let him in, when I accept him, when I make him my daddy and I'm his child, no longer am I a slave to sin. No longer am I a slave to fear. No longer am I a prisoner of my own emotions, right? 
bitterness, unforgiveness, worry, anxiety, all of those things no longer have a rule in my life. Instead, he gives me this capacity to love that's supernatural. He gives me this capacity for relationships that are deep and meaningful. He gives me this capacity for righteousness and holiness that previously to you and me would seem unattainable, seemed unimaginable to me. Listen, the more that I understand, here's my challenge to you, the more that I understand and rest in my identity in Jesus as a child of God, the better my life will become. The more I get that, that first and foremost, above everything else, if we're chasing after wealth, that's, that's like our God. We're following a lie of the devil. My identity is not a rich man. My identity is not a straight man. My identity is not, you know, a, a famous man. If I'm, if I'm your pastor and I'm like chasing fame, I'm going to be a lousy pastor. I am misled and I'm trusting the lies of the devil, right? But when we get, when we like understand our identity in Jesus, it changes everything. I'm secure and I can rest I'm not trying to prove myself anymore. Some of us are working so hard to prove that I'm something, I'm important, I'm valuable. Or, or, or I want to make, I'm going to work really hard so that God accepts me. Like, no, when we get that you're a child of God already, I don't have to work for that anymore. I already am. I don't have to prove anything to him. He's already done it for me. When I live out my position in Christ and I'm part of his family, I can live my life out of gratitude now instead of trying to prove something. And then I could also recognize, like when we get it, when we understand our identity in Christ is first and foremost, paramount to who we are, then we can look at the world when there's lots of lies in our world, right? We can look at the world and we go, well, that's not true. That's not true. Well, that is, but that's a lie of the enemy. Right? It become, they become obvious, the ways in which the devil works in our world that maybe previously we go, well, yeah, I mean, that's fine. Yeah, I think I believe that. Or, yeah, you can believe what you want. I'll believe what I want. Now we go, no, no, no. There's truth and lie. That's a lie. If we believe that, it's actually the opposite of what God says, right? The lies of the enemy become obvious. Many of the stresses that we feel in life begin to dissipate. Not, not like we're going to have a stress-free life when we understand our identity in Jesus. I'm not saying that. But many of those things that we think are such a big deal, it's so important, that stress us out, we go, no, it's actually not a big deal. It's actually not that important. Why was I so stressed about that? It's no big deal, right? Our priorities change many times, and they become God's priorities. Sometimes our passions change, and they become his passions. And guys, I don't say this like... Understanding our identity and allowing God access in our lives to change us and make us all that he wants us to be is not easy. Like, I, I, I was thinking about it this morning as I was, was praying. I remember those days in my life where I'm like, I don't know, God, that I want to turn this over to you. I don't know that I want to let you in this dark area of my heart. I don't know that I want to change yet. Like, I remember wrestling with that in my mind. And now here I am 20 years later or whatever, and I'm like, wow, it's so much better. Like, it's so much better. Why was I resistant? Why did I hate that so much? Like, why was I like so stubborn with some of these things? Here, here's how I want to end. Here's how I want to challenge you. <clears throat> the 
first challenge I think is, is sort of fundamental to this whole thing is a question, who is your father? So as you sit here today, like we're all different places in our spiritual journey. Who is your father? The Bible is actually really clear with this. Either our father is God or our father is the devil. It's actually one or the other. And, and maybe you sit here this morning and you're like, I don't know, I, I wouldn't identify myself as a Christian, but I certainly didn't think that I was a child of the devil. You know what, you know what being a child of the devil means? I'm believing lies. I'm believing things that aren't true. I haven't accepted the truth yet. I haven't said yes to the truth yet. Who is your father? Is your father God, the God who loves you? Or is it the one that we call our enemy? And then the second question, to whom are you choosing to listen? Because we can listen. We, we might have God as our father, but man, we got one ear to the lies of the enemy. And we're listening. And we're going, yeah, that, it's not so bad. There's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of truth over there. I think, you're, I think you're right. And maybe I'll just do this for a little bit. God's our father. But we're not really listening to him, right? Who are you choosing to listen to? The God who loves you or the enemy who wants to misguide you? When I started, I told you, um, you know, I've been like, for whatever reason, thinking about, you know, slavery and all of that this week. And it's just like crushed my heart. And I was reading, somebody actually forwarded me this, um, this excerpt from a book. It's about a guy named Edwin Thomas. Edwin Thomas was a guy who lived right at that same time uh, in the mid-1800s, and he was uh, one of the premier Shakespearean actors of his time. And so like this incredibly talented, gifted guy, I guess he had an amazing voice, just this gifted guy. And so Edwin had two brothers, one named John, one named Junius, and both of them were also actors, like he was kind of like a family business or something. But neither of them were nearly as, as talented or gifted or popular as Edwin was. Like Edwin was like the, the pinnacle, you know, very, very uh, amazingly talented, popular actor of his day. And yet, one of his brothers, a guy named John, ultimately became far more popular than his brother Edmund. Uh, in fact, probably all of us or most of us in this room learned about him, his brother John, in school because Edwin Thomas, his last name actually isn't, wasn't Thomas, uh, that was his middle name. Their last name was Booth. And so his brother's name was John Wilkes Booth. If you remember from school, uh, he was the guy that shot President Lincoln, right? And so after his brother, after Edwin's brother murdered the President of the United States, everything in his life changed. I want to read you couple sentences here. This is from this book. It's called He Chose the Nails. It says, Edwin was never the same after that night. Shame from his brother's crime drove him into retirement. He might never have returned to the stage had it not been for a twist of fate at a New Jersey train station. Edwin was awaiting his coach when a well-dressed young man, pressed by the crowd, lost his footing and fell between the platform and a moving train. Without hesitation, Edwin locked his leg around a railing and he grabbed the man and he pulled him to safety. After the sighs of relief, the young man recognized the famous Edwin Booth. Edwin, however, didn't recognize the young man that he had rescued. 
That knowledge came weeks later in a letter, a letter that he carried in his pocket to his grave. A letter from General Adams Boudot, Chief Secretary to General Ulysses S. Grant. It was a letter thanking Edwin Booth for saving the life of a child of an American hero. An American hero was Abraham Lincoln. How ironic that while one brother killed the president, the other brother saved the president's son. The boy Edwin Booth yanked to safety was Robert Todd Lincoln. He says, Edwin and John Booth, same father, same mother, same profession, same passion, yet one chooses life, the other chooses death. And guys, we have the same choice, right? Like we all have a choice. Talked a little bit about that last week too. Do we choose life? Do we choose death? Do we choose to make God our father? Do we choose to allow the devil to be our father? Do we choose to listen to God as our father? Or do we choose to listen to the lies of the devil? Do we choose to listen to the one that loves us or the one that hates us and wants to devour us? I challenge you this morning. Be wise in your choice. If you sit here and you're wrestling with all this and faith and what it means, I just challenge you to consider Jesus. I believe with all my heart that if we're searching for truth, if we're searching for meaning, if we're searching for purpose, it'll lead us right there to the cross. All we got to do is search for truth. It'll lead us to the cross. It'll lead us to the one that loves us.